0: Welcome to Along the Way with Trudy Kathy White. Trudy is the daughter of Jeanette and Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A. And like her dad, she is a beloved leader, communicator, and entrepreneur. In this podcast, Trudy will share a heartwarming collection of true stories with lessons she's learned along the way, and remind you that the legacy you'll leave then is the life you're living now. Here now is your host, Trudy Kathy White. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Along the Way with me, your host, Trudy Kathy White. Now, I want you to know that I'm really glad that you've joined me as I share these experiences with you, things that God has used to challenge and grow my life along the way. And it's really my hope that you'll not only be challenged and encouraged, but you'll also be strengthened in your own walk with the Lord. You might remember in my previous episode mentioning the unexpected spiritual growth that John and I experienced as a result of our time as missionaries living overseas. We faced quite a few wild rides in our 10-year stint in Brazil. I've already shared with you in detail about the crazy driving conditions in Rio. But none were nearly as wild as the ambulance ride up a cobblestone road in the mountains of Rio and in the days that followed in the month of March, many, many years ago. But I think I'm getting ahead of myself. After the birth of our daughter, Angela, we prayed the Lord would make it abundantly clear if we were to grow our family any further. His timing had been perfect with Angela's birth. Despite not being on our schedule, we had learned the peace and the joy of releasing the future to the Lord. And sure enough, a year and a half later, I was nine months and a few days pregnant with our fourth child and John and I were headed to the hospital full of expectation and excitement. It was March the 18th and well past my due date, but going past my due date was nothing unusual for me. I had carried all three of my previous children longer than full term. So it seemed my body would continue the trend with baby number four. At that time in Brazil. Doctors would induce labor when a woman reached her due date and had not had her baby. Most Brazilian women had cesarean to avoid the pain of natural childbirth, so my desire to have a baby naturally was, again, at that time, quite uncommon. Thankfully, the obstetrician who had delivered Angela would deliver our fourth child and was accustomed to my uncommon request. He even let John be present during labor and delivery now labor with our fourth child was long and difficult nothing unusual about that this baby was simply continuing the pattern of all of our other children but finally after many hours of labor our son david edward white was born but the moment david came into the world i knew immediately something was wrong his little body looked lifeless and was a deep shade of purple almost black I expected the nurses to pass him to me as they had done with the other children, but instead, they quickly took him to a corner of the room and began assessment. We didn't hear him cry, nor did we see him move. My whole world was instantly turned upside down. There were thousands of questions going through my mind, none of which I knew how to answer. What just happened? How is my baby? Why did they take him away so quickly? Is he going to be okay? What is all the talk about over in the corner of the room? Now, they were only talking very softly, and it was all in Portuguese. Our pediatrician, Dr. Gracie, a British native who had been present during David's birth, worked in the corner of the room with the other physicians, trying to coax some sign of life from this tiny baby in front of them. Later, I would learn that for the first 30 minutes of his life, David was unable to breathe on his own. He had asphyxiated. The oxygen supply to David's brain during childbirth had been completely cut off. And as the doctors worked frantically to save David's life, I lay on the delivery table, John standing beside me. He put his hands on each side of my head. We both knew, without having to say a word, that something was terribly wrong with our little David. And John began to repeat, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We shall not want. Those are the only words that he could speak. He repeated them over and over and over, locking eyes with me, calling our focus to the Lord rather than to the bleak circumstance that was surrounding us. Meanwhile, The medical team worked on David while I drifted in and out of consciousness, exhausted from labor but longing to see my child. The next thing I remember is waking up in a room with John by my side. He explained to me that David's life was in jeopardy and we were going to have to move him to another hospital with the facilities and staff to care for critically ill newborns. The medical team had asked John whether he wanted me to be moved to the same hospital where David would be. And our answer, of course, was yes. So within a few minutes, David was placed in an ambulance with several doctors while John and I followed in a second ambulance on our way to a small, specialized clinic about 20 minutes away. The roads in that part of Rio are not at all smooth and having just given birth, my body was especially sensitive to every jolt and jerk along the way. The clinic where we were headed was up on a hillside and the only road leading there was a cobblestone street but there was no doubt but what god in his goodness had brought us there to the clinic at the top of the mountain as it turned out this hospital was a haven the clinic was a secluded humble looking place but david received outstanding care up to that point i hadn't seen david at all except for the few seconds after he was born I hadn't touched or held him. The doctors assured me this was for his well-being. He had had a rough night that included convulsions, so the doctors and the nurses were very concerned about the possibility of him having more seizures. All we could do was wait and pray as the staff gave us hourly reports on his status. The third day after our arrival, the doctor came by to check on me and to sign my hospital release forms. I was anxious to be home and to see our three older children who had been in the care of my mom. John and I were so grateful that my mom had flown in from the States just a few days before I'd gone into labor. However, I really was a bit nervous to leave David and wasn't feeling entirely well. I attributed my discomfort to the emotional strain of what we were walking through, although the thought did cross my mind that perhaps something more serious might be wrong with me. Sure enough, as I walked through the exit of the hospital, I suddenly collapsed. The doctors hurried me back to the hospital room, moving very quickly just like they had with David to assess my medical situation. They soon determined I was bleeding internally and it would require immediate emergency surgery. My situation didn't look good at all. By now, my dad had arrived from the States and was at the hospital with my mom and John in conversation with Dr. Gracie, the pediatrician. She pulled my parents aside to explain the situation in English so that John could focus better on the doctors and me. I was in critical condition, and they didn't know how long I had been bleeding, uncertain what they would find in surgery. The last thing I heard was Dr. Gracie advising me that the operation may mean a hysterectomy, but she assured me that I had four wonderful children and that God had richly blessed me. Next thing I remember, I was falling asleep, not knowing what was to come. Fortunately, Dr. Gracie was able to go in and out of the operating room to communicate with John and my parents about how I was doing and what the medical team had discovered. Poor John. He carried the weight of David's critical condition, compounded now, with the unknown and potential loss of his wife. The doctors finally determined a hysterectomy was necessary and moved forward with the procedure, effectively saving my life. As they wheeled me back into my room following the operation, I restarted the journey of recovery, and in the meantime, our concern shifted back to David. David had good days and bad ones. When he was 13 days old, I regained enough strength to see him for the very first time since his birth. I remember walking in that room. David was in a small incubator. He was hooked up to all kinds of monitors, so he looked rather pitiful. I was only able to sit in a chair right beside the incubator and reach my finger through to rub his little arm a bit. I wasn't allowed to hold him as he was in no condition to be lifted and I'm not really sure I can adequately describe all that I was experiencing at that moment, but I do recall how I was relieved to see him breathing and to see at least a little color in his tiny face and body. They let me go in to see David twice a day after that. Those were such difficult times, but we were bathed in prayer by our colleagues, Brazilian friends, and so many known and unknown friends back in the States. Days passed, and My body healed enough for John to take me home. But David, David stayed in the hospital. We went to visit him every day, and I was eventually able to hold and nurse him. Finally, when David was 24 days old, we were able to bring him home to a place of love and excitement, especially the excitement came from his siblings. It was quite the day of celebration to have him safely home and with our family. David got stronger each day and grew at such a rate that even the doctors were astounded. When he was six months old, we had permission to return to the States to launch a series of tests to evaluate the status of David's health. The doctors found that developmentally, David was just like any other child his age. Given the trauma of his birth, David should not have been able to do what he was doing. He should have been affected in some way, but the doctors could offer no explanation for his remarkable recovery. But we could. David was well and thriving because God had chosen to heal him. I really believe that even if God had chosen to take David home as a newborn, we still would have come away with a deeper dependence on God and a greater realization that God is in control of every circumstance, even when we cannot grasp its purpose at the time. As you're listening to this, I'm certain you've lived long enough to experience a painful event of your own. It might be something significant, like the death or the illness of a loved one, being the victim of violence, or another one of life's tragedies. Or it could be something seemingly less significant, but life altering and impactful, like being turned down at a university you wanted to attend, or having your car stolen. Whatever the event, We have all experienced sad or frightening times in our lives, right? God has a way of refining those experiences and turning them into useful tools that mold us and draw us closer to Him. We usually don't understand their importance in shaping us until well after the event has passed. Perhaps we will never really fully understand them this side of eternity, but the Lord does. Ecclesiastes 3.11 reminds us of this truth. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planned eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Those are powerful words. As you think about a traumatic or tragic experience in your life, what emotions do you feel? As the situation seemed to spin out of control, where did you find your hope or your strength? If you knew the Lord at the time, how did He comfort you and or use the situation for your betterment and His glory? I pray you can rest in the knowledge that God is using your struggles today for strength tomorrow. Sorrow may last for a night, but the joy of the Lord is renewed each morning. The sun will rise on the pain of today and bring with it hope for the days to come. I'm thankful to have had this time to share with you as we grow together along the way. That concludes our time together for today. To find out more about Trudy, visit trudycathywhite.com or follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. By pondering the lessons in this podcast, you'll move one step closer to having your own meaningful collection of lessons you've learned along the way.